It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to Community Radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino. We get support from Don Adams Antenna Services, local dish authorized retailer, assisting Nevada County residents with satellite television for over 35 years. Jerski Drive, Grass Valley, 530-274-3709, donadamsgv.com. First, on the California Report, host Lily Jamali talks with journalist Lizzie Johnson about her new book, Paradise. In it, she chronicles 2018's campfire and follows its aftermath through the eyes of survivors. After a brief look at regional news and weather, we check in with our water guy, Steve Baker. We close with a commentary by Mark Cunaberti. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. Red flag conditions are pushing the massive Dixie Fire towards two communities in the North State. In Lassen County, residents of the small town of Janesville have been ordered to evacuate as the fire advances towards the community west of Highway 395. Here's Mark Brunton, a battalion chief at Cal Fire. Got some spots established in there. We've surged resources. Uh, we already had a plan in place and, and stood up for structure defense of Janesville. So that's already been in play for a number of days, pre-planned. Uh, and uh, when expecting this kind of conditions, we've had resources there. The fire also spread quickly northeast, moving closer to the town of Susanville near the state's border with Nevada. Police and fire officials there have advised residents to be alert and be ready to leave their homes immediately if the fire continues to advance in their direction. A red flag warning remains in effect until 10 o'clock tonight. Because of windy conditions, PG&E is warning that it might have to turn the power off to around 48,000 customers across Northern California starting tonight. That's in an effort to prevent its equipment from igniting a wildfire. Although investigations continue, the utility says a tree that fell into one of its power lines may have helped ignite the Dixie Fire. The fire has destroyed more than 600 homes so far. 28,000 people remain evacuated this morning. Now to my interview with the author of a new book on 2018's Campfire. The book is called Paradise, and it pieces together what happened in the fire and follows its devastating aftermath through the eyes of fire survivors. Following the fire, the book's author reporter Lizzie Johnson kept documenting the town and its people long after many news outlets had left. Lizzie joined me to talk about the book and some of the survivors she follows through their recoveries. Paradise, for me, like a lot of other people, I think was just utterly devastating in terms of seeing all that could be lost in a wildfire. And when I was reporting there after the fire, I was just struck by how warm and heartfelt the people were and what this town had been and just the sense of it being gone in near totality. And so I felt really compelled to understand what had been there before the fire, why people had loved this place so much and what had led to the big fire, right? I felt like that was the way of doing justice to these people, the people of Paradise, Megalia, Concow, and Butte County overall. Yeah, so long after so many other outlets had left, you were still there, and and I think we all remember that very well. You know, when I was covering the immediate aftermath of the fire, a couple days after it had come through Paradise, 
I met this mother and daughter, this elderly uh, mom who was in her 90s at that point, and she said, you know, there was this lady who gave, had just given birth to, uh, to a child at the hospital when the fire was, you know, basically had torn through. And I, w- I remember just being very surprised by that and sort of moving on. I drive back to the Bay Area, and a couple days later, you had a story in the San Francisco Chronicle about the baby and its mom, whose name is Rochelle Sanders. Tell us about Rochelle. Yeah, so Rochelle, her family had lived in paradise for a long time. Her grandparents owned a home there and, you know, she had grown up in Fresno, but it had spent winter holidays and some summers in paradise and eventually moved back as an adult. And she had just remarried. Um, she and her husband, Chris, got pregnant and had this baby named Lincoln and, you know, They held him in their arms and realized that he was this fresh start for them, their entire world. And within 12 hours, the campfire overtook the town of Paradise. Rochelle and Chris got separated. Rochelle was shoved into a stranger's car. She didn't know who the guy was and was confronted with this really hard decision of, you know, if the fire overtook the car, what what should she do? Should she try and run with the baby, knowing that she couldn't really move that well, given she just had a C-section? Or should she give the baby to the stranger and leave it from there, right? Her story is so indicative of so many other people's stories that morning, just how harrowing it was to have to make really hard decisions on a morning that should have been normal. And you were with Rochelle when she first went back to her property. Several weeks had passed uh, since her home had burned. What was that like? And, And talk about, you know, how she was able to, or at least try to process what she was seeing. Mm hmm. I mean, it was really hard. I think any time you see someone coming back to their home or what should be their home for the first time, there's a lot of emotion there. And I'd been there for a lot of those moments before with other people. But with Rochelle, it really shook me up a lot more, I think, because the baby was there too, right? Mm -hmm. And just looking at her infant son and being like, oh, that was supposed to be his home. That was supposed to be his life. And seeing that their future was going to be so totally different than when they had planned. And Rochelle too, she's an incredibly strong, incredibly brave woman. And, you know, just seeing her facade sort of break down when she saw her children's bikes crumpled in the garage, you know, it's a very hard thing for someone to go through to lose their home and their life. And where is Rochelle now? So Rochelle is living in Chico. Um, baby Lincoln is now almost three years old. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, he's super cute, has this big thatch of blonde hair and blue eyes. And, you know, she's still trying to hold it together. Um, Her husband, Chris, unfortunately passed away from cancer not long after the fire. It was all very unexpected. So she's been dealing with a lot. And again, just as brave as ever. I don't, I truly don't know how she does it, but she, she's holding it together somehow yeah well we wish her the best and we wish so many of the people that you've profiled in this book the very best lizzie johnson is the author of the new book paradise she is now a reporter with the washington post lizzie congratulations on the book and thank you so much for spending some time with us yeah thanks for having me lily 
Support for the California Report comes from Blue Shield of California, rebuilding the future of health care with every Californian in mind, from quality and equitable care to not-for-profit values. Learn more at news.blueshieldca.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor. PersonalCapital.com. And that is the California Report for this Tuesday, August 17th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. In local news, Nevada County reported 15 new COVID-19 cases today. 544 cases remain active. 24 people are hospitalized. Although forecasted offshore dry winds are causing PG&E to implement a public safety power shutoff tonight, both Nevada and Placer counties will not be among the counties affected. That's according to PG&E's website. Some parts of Butte, Plumas, Sierra, and Yuba counties, however, will be affected. You can check to see if your home will be affected on their webpage, pgealerts.alerts.pge. In regional weather, for Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, widespread haze before 11 p.m., then patchy smoke. Otherwise, mostly clear with a low around 63. Tomorrow, expect widespread haze after 11 a.m., and then sunny with a high near 87. Tomorrow's air quality index, AQI, will be 161, unhealthy. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, widespread haze and smoke, otherwise mostly clear with a low around 42. Tomorrow will also be smoky and sunny with a high near 71. Tomorrow's AQI will be 121, unhealthy for sensitive groups. And for Sacramento and Woodland, tonight mostly clear with a low around 63. Expect widespread haze after 11 p.m. Tomorrow, sunny but hazy with a high near 93. The AQI for the Valley tomorrow is expected to be 135, unhealthy for sensitive groups. A red flag warning remains in effect for our entire listening area until 8 p.m. tomorrow evening. Ever heard of La Nina? Hydrogeologist Steve Baker talks about the atmospheric phenomenon in this week's Water News. This Water News with Steve Baker is supported by clear water and filtration on rough and ready highway, Grass Valley. Well, Steve, it's been a couple of weeks, so we're just going to catch up on some stuff here. Um, I heard that there was some official announcement about our upcoming wet season. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, Forecasters at the Climate Prediction Center are saying that there is a 60% chance that another La Nina pattern has been identified and is forming. Uh, This is the same prediction that we actually received last year. And uh, for those who don't recall what La Nina is, it's a condition where you have cooler, shallow Pacific Ocean temperatures that exist in the equatorial areas of our planet. And that can impact us where, where we are here, right here in California. In some places, it can get really dry, like in Southern California and other places, very, very wet, like the Pacific Northwest. But 
But also you need to remember this, and that is that the correlation between how much rain and snow we receive in Northern California during La Nina is really not that significant. And the reason why is it also depends on the direction of atmospheric river storms, you know, the Pineapple Express storms. What direction are they blowing? Because if, if, uh, if they're blowing up towards here, we'll re- actually receive water. And if they're, which ha- can happen, uh, if they are blowing up further north in Oregon and, 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 uh, and Washington states, we'll receive that water. So uh, that's, you know, that's, that's what we're up against right now. But the bottom line is it's been consistently hot and dry um, this year, and it doesn't seem to be slowing down. Um, here's a big question. may not be able to answer it, but when will this drought end? Well, I mean, as you already know, those kind of projections are really hard to accurately predict, right? It's looking a bit dismal right now. But, but really, um, there's even a more pressing question, believe it or not. When it does end, when the drought does end, how will we prepare for the next one? It's not going to go away. Our current situation is is viewed as a mega drought. I don't know if you've heard or heard or read about that. And the reason why is uh, we haven't seen a drought like this in at least 400 years. Okay, this is very. We're living through a very significant time right now. Now, what's so tricky is is this illusion that happens every so often when suddenly we're in this drought, you know, one year after another, and then kaboom, we end up with a wet season like we did in 2017, 2019. That was good, too. Then people go back to their normal ways, thinking that, oh, yeah, the drought's over. Well, the drought's not, drought was not over. That You just had this intermittent uh, intermission from your drought. It's actually still here. Uh, we are in a 20-plus year prolonged dry period right now, and it's likely indicating that there's a trend going on, and that trend is a, as a result of climate change. So it's time that we also change our thinking around this whole thing. Okay, so what are you suggesting? <laughs> I'm, I'm suggesting adaptation. We are now recognizing that we need to live with less water. I, I think that's pretty obvious to most people. In, in the big picture. Our reservoirs, they aren't filling up as history has shown. In fact, even our local NID uh, is experiencing that in their higher reservoirs that store water and deliver it to Scotts Flat and other places. So this is just becoming a sign of the time. It's just the way it, it is. And then our groundwater wells in the foothills, that's also a big question mark. You know, I've studied these conditions and I do have an intuition about our groundwater supplies. We in Northern California have had really resilient groundwater wells. And the reason why is we've not had any extended decadal drought conditions. But then when you think about more people living in the foothill regions of the Sierras, and then you realize that, you know, late, you know up until present, we haven't really been experiencing these extended drought droughts, you know, more consistently. Well, that's changing. Right now, we have a lot of people are living up here, and we are living in an extended drought, and that's a recipe for groundwater level declines. Okay, Groundwater level declines, that means for each of us that your groundwater pumping rates are going to start going down. You won't be pumping so much water as those fractures that have historically provided you with water begin to empty out. That's, the, that's what happens. The adaptation that I'm suggesting for everyone regarding groundwater is to start really understanding how your water use is impacting the water levels in your well. There is a connection. 
The one thing that all of us can control is ourselves, right? I think that's, we've heard that in many other uh, venues. Well, we can make adjustments and we can avoid many of these more catastrophic consequences of a drying well if we do just that, if we, if we start understanding how our water and our use impact one another. Now, not just groundwater even is an issue, but there's another consequence of drought that is also causing us to change our behaviors, and that's wildfires, windblown wildfires. And uh, we're experiencing those right now, and we're going to be experiencing a lot of unhealthy smoky days. Speaking of smoky days, um, how does all this smoke, uh, uh, how does that affect the weather? You know, that's a really good question, Paul. In fact, you're starting to ask questions like a scientist now. <laughs> there, there is a new study. It's amazing that you, you figured that one out. It's, there's a new study that's found that tiny particles found in wildfire smoke actually affect the way droplets form in clouds. And this can result in less rain, which makes everything a, a, a lot worse. In fact, that influence, say, of California experiencing this, will cause this drier air mass to move east and, in fact, force in the eastern parts of our country, too. So this is very significant. When you have fires, uh, also the ash, which is now in the ground, has an effect on water quality as well as uh, water runoff. Then you have the scorched soil. All that all those changed conditions as a result of the fire can cause aquifers to not receive water and also contribute to more landslides. It's really a Pandora's box as to what can happen after a fire. And we really need to adapt. And I really, I'd like to talk more about the adaptation ideas the next time we meet. Steve, um, thank you so much and look forward to our next chat in a couple of weeks. Managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion, and that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation with KVMR's water guy, Steve Baker. You can email him with your questions at stevebaker at operationunite.co. We close tonight with a commentary by Mark Cunaberti about alternative investments. Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name's Mark Cunaberti. Alternative investments, or what I call privates, are investments which are usually not listed on the Wall Street Journal, the Investor Business Daily, or other public media outlets. It's the reason I call them privates. I've seen my share of private alternative investments, and although not all of them bad, most I wouldn't touch with somebody else's 10-foot pole, let alone my own. My opinion, of course. An alternative investment is one that an advisor or perhaps a friend or acquaintance may bring to an investor and ask for them to invest funds. Privates run the gamut from a second mortgage to a private bond or note, which are just IOUs, to investing in company portfolios with some promise of a return or gain. Most common types I see is where an investor either buys a second mortgage from a company or buys a bond from a company or buys into a portfolio of properties or power generating companies, among other types of investments. The key here is the offering is privately held and purchased, and its price is not listed 
it anywhere on a public media platform, like a newspaper or brokerage house stock screener. I have always, when asked, voiced my opposition to privates, as I have seen too many people burned on a variety of these offerings, to the point of thinking nine out of ten of these lose money. My opinion again, of course, come to think of it, I can only recall one private or a local popular health food store floating its bonds, their IOUs, to raise money for their expansion. Their expansion went well, these bonds paid a nice interest, and did pay off upon maturity. I am sure there are other alternatives or privates that have worked out well. That said, I have not seen many in my experience, however, that warranted the risk to investors. The alternatives I have seen have entailed buying into a number of power-generating plants or investing into a handful of oil exploration or oil-producing plays, perhaps buying into a number of apartment complexes or commercial real estate properties, Privates can also fund projects to build things such as resorts, condominium complexes, or other entities, or just center around buying a mortgage contract where the investor is essentially the bank to the borrower and secured by the deed of trust. The reason for buying alternatives are either an advisor or a friend recommended it, as I said previously, and or the advisor or investor was promised above average returns over market rates. The contracts can vary and the small writing and disclaimers are usually many. For instance, the investor might be promised a healthy interest rate for buying a bond. He might be promised a lucrative monthly or quarterly dividend, ownership into a company developing a new technology or idea, or get a piece of the generated profits. You get the idea. Whatever the underlying proposal, an above-average return on investment is always offered, which might be more than the investor could get in the regular market or in a bank. The contracts usually suggest an out date or a date to maturity where you can get your money back and a suggested rate of return. But the disclaimers in the fine print may give all sorts of outs to the offering entity. The contracts that I have seen certainly have addressed the owner's interest over the investors, at least in my experience and again in my opinion. What can go wrong is obviously the issue here. And some of the problems I have seen are plummeting prices in energy alternatives, a real estate crash in property portfolios, defaults on mortgage or private bonds, or overall stock market crashes or interest rate spikes, stressing out the issuing company's balance sheets. The ramifications to the investor then fall under all those disclaimers and fine print he may or not have bothered to read thoroughly. Dividends or payments might stop or decrease. Outdates, or what is called a liquidity date, may be postponed. All legally to the company, of course, due to the fine print. One might not be able to sell their shares or be limited to what shares he can sell upon maturity. Bonds or mortgages can obviously default, either partially or completely. You name it, I've seen it. The question I always ask is, if the market rates are, say, 2% in the economy, to borrow money from a traditional bank or lending institution, why is the borrower paying you 7 Usually, or any entity or person paying above market rate are doing so because they can't get money in the regular market. In other words, the risk involved from the borrower is higher than normal, and therefore the investor is taking the brunt of the increased risk. In conclusion, with few exceptions, I'm of the opinion that most alternatives or privates are not a good idea. That's it for today's Money Matters. Today's newscasts are my opinions only and should not reflect those of the station, its staff, management, or underwriters, and should not be construed as investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell any security. 
I hold California insurance license OL3429 and am a Medicare-approved agent in the state of California. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name is Mark Cunaberti. That's our newscast for this evening, Tuesday, August 17th, 2021. KVMR's Evening News airs Monday through Friday from 6 to 6.30 and is available on our website, kvmr.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. We get support from Carmen's Garden and Greenhouse, locally owned since 2012 on Loma Rica Drive, Grass Valley, stocking greenhouse frames, coverings, and components down-to-earth amendments, and IPM products. Open Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. K-A-R-M-E-N-S garden.com. Stick around. Coming up at 6.30, it's Educationally Speaking, and at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! Thanks very much for listening. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Have a good evening and stay safe. (laughs) 